And as I said earlier, this is the Sunday of Epiphany. A lot of times in the Christian calendar, these days fall during the week, but they always attribute them to the Sunday before or after, so as they do today. So we're going to talk about Epiphany today. Just when you thought you heard everything there was to, to hear about Christmas and the Christmas story, this is actually the 12th day of Christmas, the final day of Christmas. So we're going to talk about the Magi, all about the Magi, the story of Epiphany. So Jesus has been born now, the long-awaited Messiah. And it's interesting to see from God's word who God notifies about that occurrence, that world-changing occurrence, the birth of the Son of God, the Savior. Who does God notify? Well, we read last time, or two weeks ago, that that night of his birth, he notified shepherds in the fields. And now, about two years later, we see that God also notified some foreign magicians, of all things or astrologers, that's what the Magi were. It's the, the word from which we get our word magic, comes from Magi. So these men were magicians or astrologers, people who watched the stars and told fortunes for people, what the future holds for them. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't bother to notify the Jewish religious leaders about the birth of this baby and what it means? Well, that teaches us a lesson right there. I'll talk about it a little bit later. But we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And as we do, we'll ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, thank you for these Bibles that we all have and we sometimes take for granted. But in this book is your word, your inspired word. And it teaches us a lot about your plan for salvation for the human race and the love you have for your son, Jesus. And uh, we so appreciate it that you've given us understanding of these things. Help us as we read today and, and study. Help us to understand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we read the story of uh, the visit of the Magi. Interestingly enough, this story is only found in one gospel, the Gospel of Matthew. And when we studied the Gospel of Matthew, we learned that Matthew wrote his Gospel to Jewish Christians. So Luke, John, Mark had their own individual audiences that they pr primarily wrote to. Keep in mind that Matthew wrote to Jewish Christians, people of a Jewish background. So as it says here, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now this actually takes place a couple of years after Jesus was born. So Jesus is no longer in a manger now. As the scripture says, he's, they're going to find him in a house so time has transpired. So the little scene there that we commonly see at Christmas time is actually incorrect. The Magi never got to Jesus when he was still in a manger. This is a couple years later. So no one knows what country they came from. 
No one knows how many there were, and no one knows if they were royalty or not. So there are songs about, uh, you know, three wise men. It doesn't, Scripture doesn't say there were only three. There could have been more. And it doesn't say uh, that uh, they were kings like some uh, Christmas songs say. But they arrive on the scene in Bethlehem, and uh, they first go and visit King Herod to find out where this baby is. Where else would they go? To the person in charge, King Herod. He should know, but he doesn't really know <laughs> as the story goes on. But notice it says here that they saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now this actually, we're going to see that the Magi actually fulfill a lot of prophecies from the Old Testament. In Numbers 24, verse 17, Numbers 24, verse 17, there's a prophecy written by, uh, interestingly enough, a pagan prophet named Balaam. Uh, Balak hired Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. And instead of cursing the nation of Israel, he actually blessed the nation of Israel. And this is what he said in Numbers 24, verse 17. He's talking about the future of Israel, and he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, he's actually talking about the Messiah, I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter or a ruler will rise out of Israel. So this pagan uh, individual, a pagan prophet, Balaam, actually predicts the coming of the Messiah. And he mentions specifically that he sees his star. This star will come out of Jacob. So when we talk about the Magi seeing a star leading them to Bethlehem, this is usually the prophecy that is quoted. So it took the Magi to fulfill this prophecy about Jesus and it actually a star appearing in the sky that led them to Bethlehem. So we don't know what this star, quote unquote, was, if it was literally planets in the sky or a specific star or it could have been an angel because a lot of times angels are referred to as stars in the Bible. So he predicts the coming of a ruler that will ultimately crush the enemies of Israel. And sure enough, it's being fulfilled right here. So in the Old Covenant, God was in a relationship with Israel. But under the terms of the New Covenant, with Jesus as our Savior, salvation is made available to all people, all cultures, all races, all languages. So this is one of the lessons from the Magi. By them coming, pagan magicians or astrologers, it's not just a relationship with Israel anymore that God has. This is going to usher in a new era where salvation and God's relationship with people is going to go beyond the boundaries of Israel. And it is so in our day today. We have Christians all around the world of all different cultures, races, languages, and so on. Let's continue reading. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, the Magi asking, where, where is this new king that has been born? Immediately, Herod is in panic because he was a non-Jew who was appointed king of Judea by the Roman Senate. And like most rulers of the day, he was ruthless. And when it came to staying in power, he would do anything 
to stay in power. And when you read about Herod the Great, you find out that he actually murdered his wife, whom he suspected. He murdered his three sons. He murdered his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, his uncle, and many others. So when Herod hears of a new threat to take over his throne, he was disturbed, it says, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, because he didn't know about scripture, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. So they quote the prophecy, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So now Herod knows. The baby was born in Bethlehem, and the Magi are going to head in that direction. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Well, he wasn't going to go worship him. He was going to go kill him as he did so many others to maintain control of his power. So let's read on verse 9 now. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And notice, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, not the manger anymore, coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So, there's no Pharisees, there's no Sadducees here worshiping the newborn Messiah. There's pagan magicians and astrologers along with the shepherds previously. So it's interesting who God calls, who God notifies about this birth. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. So notice it's foreigners who come to worship Jesus, people who are not part of Israel, people who were somewhat familiar with Scripture, but who were shown the star that led them. And their immediate response is to bow down and to worship. And they're filled with joy in this whole episode. Verse 12, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So things change now. Jesus is in danger. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, their lives are at stake right now. So something's going to have to happen because Herod and his soldiers are on the way. Verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. A trip to Egypt. <laughs> they had just made their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census, and I'm sure that that was a pretty expensive trip. How are these young couple and child going to be able to afford now a trip to Egypt, which 
scripture and history tells us probably lasted at least a couple of years. They spent at least a couple of years in Egypt escaping from Herod the Great who was trying to kill them. How could they afford that? Well, don't forget, they had just been given gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So part of the reason that they brought these things by God's inspiration was to pay for a couple of years stay in Egypt. Makes sense. So they could afford it. They could afford it very well. And all of these things that they had been given were easily hidden by people in a caravan heading for Egypt. So it's a blessing from God for this trip that they have to take now. So the family travels to Egypt, and that fulfills a prophecy as well. There's a prophecy in Hosea 11, verse 1. Hosea 11, verse 1, where right in the middle of talking about other things, Hosea says, out of Egypt I called my son. So God, speaking about his son, Jesus Christ, would be called eventually out of Egypt. What was he doing in Egypt? Well, now we know. He had to go there to escape death. So a lot of prophecies being fulfilled through the actions of the Magi. If they hadn't talked to Herod first and told him about the birth of the king, uh, Herod wouldn't have been after Jesus and Mary and Joseph. They wouldn't have had to go to Egypt to escape. But let's read on. So the angel warns them, head for Egypt. Verse 14, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, which was a few years later. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under. So it seems that Jesus was maybe a year and a half old, to two years old at this time, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. So here's another prophecy being fulfilled. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31 verse 15, a voice is heard in Ramah, which was just outside of Jerusalem, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So a number of young children were killed by Herod and his troops because he was desperate to find this newborn king. So instead of finding him, he's going to kill all the young boys of that particular age. So it's amazing, these men come into town and all of a sudden prophecies are being fulfilled. The prophecy of seeing the star, a prophecy of Jesus going to Egypt, a prophecy of little children being killed. As I said earlier, Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jewish Christian audience. So he included certain things in his gospel that the other three gospel writers didn't include in their accounts. This is one of them, this whole matter of Jesus going to Egypt with his family, uh, Herod, the killing of the young boys, uh, seeing the star. 
All of this was directed to a Jewish Christian audience because the Jewish Christian people knew the prophecies of the Old Testament and they could see that they were being fulfilled. Now, since Moses was the greatest hero of the Jewish people down throughout their history, Matthew portrays Jesus as the new Moses and the greater Moses in many ways. Let me explain. Just as the Pharaoh killed all the male babies when, when Moses was born, and we can turn to the account back there in Exodus chapter 1, because something very similar happened to Moses. Uh, Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. I'll just read a little bit of it. Exodus 1, verse 22. You know, uh, Israel came into Egypt at the time of Joseph, and all of his brothers came into Egypt to survive during the famine at that time. So Israel was in Egypt dwelling there, and the numbers of the Israelites grew and grew and grew and continued to grow. And the Pharaoh saw that happening, and he said, listen, we have to do something about these people. They're outsiders, they're foreigners, and they appear to be taking over the land of Egypt. So it says in verse 22 of Exodus 1, Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile. He's talking about the Hebrews. But let every girl live. So in a very similar way, Moses lived in a time when the young baby boys were put to death by Pharaoh because he didn't want them to spread and grow in numbers in Egypt. So what happened? Uh, Moses was born and uh, his mother put him in a little basket, put him in the Nile, remember? And he was discovered by a woman and he was eventually you know, taken in by the family of Pharaoh and his life was spared. So we see the same thing happening to Jesus now. Herod was going to kill all the young boys Jesus' age, and they escaped to Egypt. So Matthew points that out specifically, saying, you know, you know the story about Moses and how he survived what the Pharaoh was trying to do by killing all the babies, the Hebrew babies in Egypt. Moses was spared, and Jesus went through the exact same experience. So Jesus is just like Moses, but he's even greater than Moses. This is the story that Matthew is trying to get across to the Jewish Christians who are reading his account. And not only that, when Moses' life was in danger, and you can read about this in Exodus 2, verse 15, remember the story that uh, Moses saw uh, an Egyptian beating a uh, Hebrew slave and killed him. And what happened? Moses goes ahead and kills this Egyptian guard. So Moses had to run for his life because the Pharaoh would have surely had him killed for murder. And what does Moses do? He has to leave the country. He flees the country. So just as Jesus had to flee the country and go to Egypt to be, to be safe, Moses, at one point in his life, had to flee Egypt 
and go to the land of Midian to be safe. So Matthew is specifically pointing out these accounts showing that, you know what, Jesus went through the same experiences that Moses did, but of course, Jesus is greater than Moses. He's the new Moses. So the Jewish audience, Jewish Christian audience that Matthew was writing to was think, were thinking, hey, that makes sense, yeah. There are similarities there. And Jesus is just like Moses, our greatest hero of all time. And Moses was trying to convince them that Jesus needs to be your hero too. But he's more than a hero. He's the son of God. Another thing that Matthew points out in his gospel is Moses eventually left Egypt. And remember, it was the time of the Exodus. And he left triumphantly after all the plagues on, on Egypt, all the plagues that they suffer. Finally, Pharaoh set them free. And they crossed the Red Sea miraculously. The sea uh, split in two and the Israelites walked across dry shod and Moses rescued them out of physical slavery. Well, Matthew teaches that when Jesus eventually leaves Egypt and goes back to Nazareth and ultimately begins a ministry, he is bringing the people out from spiritual slavery, not physical slavery, but he's rescuing, uh, rescuing us down through time, even to our day today. We are being rescued from slavery to sin and the punishment that that sin brings along with it. And that's what Jesus would do through his death, his resurrection, his ascension back up into heaven. He's rescued all of us from slavery to sin. So notice the way Matthew depicts this to his specific audience. And there are many other comparisons too, which I won't take time to get into right now, but we're talking about the Magi and their effect. So eventually back here in Matthew chapter two then, we see that after Herod the Great dies, uh, they're given the go ahead to go back to Israel, specifically Nazareth, where Jesus is going to continue to grow up and eventually years later start his ministry. So we see that the Magi taught us several different lessons. First of all, that God's work now is not just for one nation, the people of Israel. They came from a faraway land showing that Jesus' coming was going to affect all people around the world. He was going to eventually bring salvation through his death to not just one nation, but all nations, all peoples, all cultures, all races, all languages. Then we see that the Magi came. They were sent by God and led by God on a long journey following a star. They came to worship God, to worship the newborn baby, Jesus Christ. They were overjoyed by this opportunity. They felt great joy and they bowed down to worship this new king, this newborn king. And it kind of shows us our reaction to Jesus too, the reaction that we, sh we should have. Because you know what? We're all on a journey. 
all of us here today. Through this life, we are on a journey, just like the Magi, to ultimately see Jesus, aren't we? But we're not going to see a young child. We're going to see a glorified, risen Jesus. And just as the Magi labored, I'm sure for weeks, if not months, on their journey to Bethlehem, we're going through a difficult journey too. Every day we face difficulties, trials, mishaps, whatever the case may be. But we keep our eyes on Jesus, just as they kept their eyes on the star. And after all, Jesus is the one who brings us light. He is the light of our lives, actually. We keep looking to that star, we keep following Jesus, and we're being led in a life's journey to come see him face to face. I want to turn to 1 John 3, verse 2. Not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John. 1 John 3, verse 2. John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. Don't ever doubt that. We are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, we live a lifetime of faith in what we read in God's word, what we pray about, what we're taught. And we know that we're straining for the future when someday this is all going to happen. And as I said, when it happens, we're going to be standing around going, I can't believe it's finally happening. We're going to see Jesus now and we're going to see him face to face. We shall see him as he is. And we read about the joy that the Magi had when they finally saw the young boy in his house and bowed down and worshipped him. It was thrilling for them. What indescribable joy will we feel at that time? I don't think we can even describe it. Think about the thing that you are most joyful about. You know, the, the Steelers won the game. We're, we're joyful about that. You know, we're happy about that. We get married. We're happy about that. We have our wedding day. Whatever joyful thing we've experienced in this world is going to dim in comparison to when we see Jesus face to face. I don't think we could even grasp it now. But it's going to happen. The Magi fell down and worshipped the young child. But their time in Bethlehem was short. Our time with Jesus is going to last for eternity. So how joyful will that be? And we're going to worship him forever. One last scripture in John chapter 16. John chapter 16. So we can relate to the Magi. You know, we came out of the world. God called us out of the world. He gave us a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of faith about his son, Jesus Christ, and who he is. And we've been learning through the years more and more. We've been coming closer to him. We've been coming into a personal relationship with him. But the time's coming that we're going to see him face to face. And Jesus encourages us with these words. John 16, verse 22. This is Jesus speaking to you. Now, now in this life, on your journey, now is your time of grief. 
but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So Jesus encourages us about the future. We're on this journey, just like the Magi were. Difficult journey, keeping their focus where it should be, watching that star and following it as they were told. And we're the same way. We share in their journey, but the result of our journey is going to be more profound. They just saw Jesus for, who knows, a few hours, a day or two. We're going to be with him for all eternity. And we're not going to see him as a baby or as a very young child. We're going to see him as a risen, transformed, glorified Savior that he is. And that will be a time of rejoicing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the message about the Magi. Uh, they're a mysterious group of, of men who came from a faraway land on a journey. And yet we share in their joy, we share in their wonder, we share in their worship of this young child who grew up to be our savior. So Father, help us to listen and to learn from their example. They caused so many prophecies to be fulfilled. So Father, they had faith, they had focus, and they had determination. Give us those things too on our journey. And we know that the end of the journey is going to be beyond our wildest expectation. Just the thought of seeing this Savior face to face is just so overwhelming for us. So it will be a time of great joy and it's going to last forever. So Father, thank you for sending your Son to be our Savior. And we just pray your strength as we continue on in this journey. Help us to keep our focus, increase our faith, and Father, strengthen us daily as we journey to Jesus. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen.